Lord, would you, would you just give us a living moment with you? Just be with us and give us a time, living time with you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. All right, so I want to take you guys for a minute back to one of the inauspicious stories of my life. When I was, I don't know, somewhere around ninth grade, which would have been way back in like 1980-ish. I know, no show of hands as to who wasn't even born yet, right? My uncle was living in Boston. I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in a wonderfully rural kind of a setting in North Carolina. That's R-U-R-A-L. And for those who can't say rule the way we do, we, don't you like that, rule? I love that word. Like, it just, it's just, it works, doesn't it? it work. Anyway, so we drove on vacation all the way up to Boston. Now, my parents are fantastic. They farm, they've got gorgeous flowers, and there's all kinds of stuff. It's kind of a Wendell Berry type, Christian in the, in the beauty of God's creation kind of life. But we were not city people. And my uncle's up in Boston, and my parents cleverly put together, and they said, here's a chance to take our boys to go up and see stuff they'd otherwise never get to see. So we came up, hot summer, long drive, no air conditioning in the car, and spent some time, and we did everything. So one day, we're going to go into city center. We're going to go downtown. And so we're getting all sorted up, and we're like, how do you go into a big city? Where do you park? What do you do? My uncle said, yeah, you don't park, you take the train. So my adventure of befuddlement began right there at a commuter rail stop on the south side of Boston. How do you know how long the doors will stay open? Do you have to run to get into the train? How do you know that you won't miss your stop? How does everyone else seem to be relaxed, even bored? How do they know what they're doing? Before we got on the train, our, my uncle gave us two pieces of advice with a very serious face. He said, first of all, while you're on the train, do not open your mouths. He said, if they open your mouths, they'll all know who you are and they'll make fun of you. Do not open your mouths. Well, that's encouraging. The second one, he said, do not miss your stop. He said, there's been racial trouble in the city, and if you miss your stop, you're going to be in a neighborhood that you don't want to be lost in. Well, that's even more encouraging. So somehow we get downtown, and we see a bunch of stuff, and I'm hot, and I'm sweaty, and I'm tired, and I've saved my best clothes of all for the vacation. I've saved my coolest outfit for this day. So I had on my Adidas t-shirt, the one that had the big Adidas flower thing on the front with the word big Adidas, blue and red stripes. I am looking cool, all right? Now, I had very pale skin and floppy red hair, and that didn't help me. I wasn't confident. I mean, you see these, these people with Italian heritage walking around, you know, and they turn olive in the summer, and I turn beet red, and I'm just so jealous of that. But I had recently discovered James Bond, which was not a good thing, actually, for my teen years. Not all that helpful, this is not the Daniel Craig James Bond. This is not a highly muscled, you know, let me run and do it James Bond. This was, this was a worse James Bond than that. I like the Daniel Craig James Bond for the most part. This was a super suave 
right? He got by on being super suave, super debonair. And, you know, for me at that time, that wasn't really a great influence. So we make it to Faneuil Hall for lunch because that's what you do, right? When you come to visit Boston from somewhere else, you make the mistake of going with everybody else who came to visit Boston to Faneuil Hall for lunch. And the whole lunch experience just completely wiped us out. So we found a bench in the shade to sit in after lunch, and we're going to all rest. And I decided that this was my moment to show these Bostonians how suave and how cool and how worldly-wise I was. So, not having any pockets, I beseeched my mother for my $5 bill. I got my $5 bill, and I went out, and I said, I'll be back in a little while. You're all going to be here. And my parents, probably in fear and trembling, let me go. And whether my dad, like, followed me behind the trees, that it defies categories, right? You find in a place like Faneuil Hall a little bit of everything and a whole bunch of nothing, really. And I get into this shop, and hey, guess what? There's a good-looking 20-something woman behind the counter, and I'm the only person in the shop. So I am, I am wrestling inside with feelings of, oh, my word, she's watching me, versus, oh, good, here's an opportunity to impress a good-looking 20-something woman, Right? So I wander around, I finally find a Garfield book. Now, who knows Garfield, the comic cat, right? In fact, I liked Garfield because he was sardonic. Not actually a great thing, again, for me, in that stage of life, but that's why I liked him. The Garfield book, this is 1980-ish, was $4.95. I picked it. I am crushed. I'm humiliated and shamed. And I return back to my parents with nothing but my shame. The reason I tell you that story is I want us to work together to decipher what are the tracks that I'm playing in my head that day on vacation when I'm supposed to be having fun that are telling me who I am and what story I'm living. Does that make sense? So what are they? We're country people. We're Claytons, Clayton, not really all that exciting. Do not Google our family, you know, shield thing. It's not exciting. We're people who are of the earth. We move a ton of clay. We're not city people. We're fair skin. We burn, right? We shouldn't open our mouths because they will make fun of us. How can there be racial trouble in Boston? It's only us who calls racial trouble Southern people. These are the tracks that are going through my mind, right? What other tracks are going through my mind? I'm going to be as cool as James Bond. I'm going to overcome something year old, right? They're put on us. We walk of who we see ourselves as being and what we are living? What story are we living? What life are we living? And there are all kinds of massive powers that shape our tracks. James Bond films. Films. Films tell us what's cool, what's good, what's bad, what's hip. What's it mean to be beautiful? Marketing. What do I have to spend money on to have? What do I have to have? in order to be cool, to be acceptable, to be in, to not be weird, in order to be walking in the stream with everybody else. 
Social media radically flattened out reality. Does the approval of a bunch of people I barely know or don't even know really matter to me? Can I turn it off and connect to an unseen God and let my soul breathe? Or am I flattened out in the horizontal all the time? Tracks are powers. It's history. It's family lore. Tracks are the things that make culture in many ways. It's the unseen glue that makes a culture. They're all implicitly agreed upon in a culture. Sometimes written, the black experience in America, sometimes the tracks have been explicitly written, bad ones. Many times, most of the time, they're not. if you try to critique them, people say, that's not a problem here. It's not written anywhere. Now, I can give you an example that proves that's not real, but it's just so real that people can't get outside of it to see it. So who, here, here we go. Thanks for humoring me, hearing my pain story. Let's transition. Here we go now. Why is this relevant to Easter? Two, two radical things to say this morning about Easter and about the kinds of tracks that influence our lives. The first one is the spiritual powers and the social powers in the New Testament are mixed They are not separate. They're mixed together, indecipherably mixed. This is the flip side of the honor that is given to the human being, that we were created in the image of God and given the cultural mandate. What we do individually and as a people, what we agree upon has amazing deep consequences. It's debated as to to what degree do the spirits rush in when we make space, good or bad? To what degree do we even create an atmosphere that takes on some kind of strange spirit of itself that's hard to even define? It's, It's just hard to sort it all out. The spiritual powers and the social powers in the New Testament are not divided. So, When Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, rich nor poor, you're all accepted. Also talking about radical social testament. Follow that. This is where the energy of Paul and the New Testament church comes from. This is where resurrection life infuses present day life with energy. It isn't just, not that it's a small thing, it isn't just you'll live forever, whatever the heck that means. No, it's the powers have been pushed aside, dismantled. I love the translation we read, despoiled, in some, in some English from the English people, right? They've, they're neutered. They've lost their hold. And so what Paul does then in Colossians, what we're going to see this morning is Paul's going to do two Big moves, each one made of two parts. And the first move is he's going to give you two in hymns in Christ. And those two in hymns are going to talk about a change in who you are. One of them is going to give you a gift, and the other one's going to free you up of stuff that blocks your gift. And it's going to change who you are. The second two are going to be two stunning reversals of reality that are shockingly good. 
and those happen in him and with him. He's going to set you up as a new person in him, in him, and then he's going to say, now live it with him, with him. Good? Do you want to know? I want to know, right? So Paul's writing to this church in Colossians. Now, Colossians is not under the Romans. Colossians is not Jewish. Colossians is in Asia Minor. This matters. Hold on just a second. This will be quick. And, but the best way to understand it is it's a mix of all of that. Roman culture stuff, Greek culture stuff, Persian culture stuff, Jewish culture stuff. People debate wildly about who is it Paul's writing to counter. I, I don't think it's worth picking through it. I think it's a mix of all of it. What we do know is it something very ascetic, meaning against the body. It's something which is drawing a separation, very common for American former evangelicals, right? We all know how this goes. Disembodied spiritual reality, embodied physical reality, and it's something like that is what he's writing to counter. It's what he's writing into. So Paul writes into this, and he begins, and the first thing he says is, in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So in that world, saying that is massive. It dwells in him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. And he says, you are filled in him. You are filled in him. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus and you are filled. You are reunited with God now, today. Believe it, hold it, it's real. And then he says, Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. He's put them all down. He's put them all, relativized them all, put them all under his decision about who is in and who is out and what that means. And in him... You can put all those powers that give you tracks aside, put them down. He's the head of all principalities and power. Jesus has died. He has been raised. And you have fullness in him. Literally, that would be translated, you are in him having been filled. He's done it. It's accomplished. You're in him having been filled. So however you feel about yourself, however you feel about how God feels about you, Paul is using fact language. It has happened. It has been done. You are in God. God is with you now. Believe it. Believe it. Let it soak in. So that's the first in him. That's the one where you're given something. You're given in himness, which is a new reality. The second one then is we're freed of something that weighs us down. And the second one is, in whom, in him, in him you also are circumcised with a circumcision not made by hand, not in the despoiling of the body of the flesh. So Paul's saying, no, no, none of this spiritual is good, material is bad, but in the circumcision of Christ. And he's saying Christ, when Christ goes to the cross, he then, bearing sins that he doesn't deserve to have, he then dying, he sloughs off the human. He's the second Adam, so he represents all of us. So he sloughs off the human from the body of the flesh. 
When Paul speaks of the body, he doesn't speak ill of it. When Paul wants to speak ill of how we get our bodies in trouble and then blame our bodies for what we muscle and hormone taught them to do in the first place so that then they want to do it again, when we do that with our bodies and Paul wants to talk about that, he talks about the flesh. Not an absolute rule, but pretty much. Right? So he says the, the body of the flesh. He's making it clear that this is about the ways that we get ourselves and others into trouble with our bodies, not a body per se, right? He says, you are buried with him in baptism in whom you also are risen again by faith in the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So Jesus is giving you freedom. So don't be cheated of this freedom. Hold it, believe it. Jesus has taken your stuff on himself and circumcised it away and come off the cross and he lives in a new body and he's the human being remade and you're in him with that, in that. So he's given us fullness. He's given us relief and release from the things that weigh us down. So now Paul's gonna say two stunning reversals of what culture expected and the powers put on people. He's going to do two stunning reversals with him for living. The first one is you, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. Notice again, the the finished language, he has made alive together with him, forgiving you all your offenses blotting out the handwriting. Paul here is saying you can trade being in sin for being in and with Jesus. You no longer have to see yourself as being under the powers. You know, a goofy southern nitwit who turns in his insecurity to trying to impress women and wanting to manipulate them. You don't have to live that track. You can tell yourself the track of the human being who lived the best human life ever lived, who knows what it is to be a human being, died for me to slough all this crap off me so I can now be the human being I'm meant to be and be at peace. With him, and you were ready to to be done with what was written on it, you take this this long, skinny, uh, you know, straight edge thing and you just go shoosh. Done, gone. Blotting out the handwriting, specific, personal. Someone knows what you've been doing and been keeping a record and it's personal to you and it's particular and it's detailed. And guess what? It just got wiped clean. The powers have been neutered. What power in the history of the world has ever said having a crown of thorns pushed into your head and into your skull makes you look cool. It makes you able to control and, you know, make it in the world. What power in the history of the world has ever said letting them nail you to a cross and forgiving them as they do it is the way we want to be. Jesus has so outdone them. 
that they are completely unable. We're going to get to this one of these weeks. We're going to come back when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that they wouldn't have even bothered to do it if they had known <laughs> what would happen. It's incredible. They wouldn't have done it if they'd known what would happen. They had no idea, those doofus powers, thinking they're so bad. It's a stunning reversal. And then Paul takes it as far as you can take it in his world. He says, despoiling the principalities and the powers, he has exposed them confidently in the open, right? I'm I'm not a huge Boris Johnson fan, but when the war started, the Russians against Ukraine, Boris Johnson said publicly, he said, Putin must be made to lose and be seen to have lost. And that struck me. I'm like, yeah, makes sense. All right, Paul's saying, they not only lost, They've been publicly shown to have lost. And then he exposed them confidently in the open, triumphing over them in him. Watch the beginning of Gladiator. That's pretty historically accurate. That fight scene is crazy, but it's pretty, pretty good. And so when that rebellion gets put down, then the conquering general, if, if his victory was important enough, he was awarded a triumph in the capital city. And what that meant was he literally caged up the, the best soldiers that he had captured. He literally caged them up and hauled them all the way back to Rome from wherever it was. And they literally went through the street in a victory parade with these guys right in the front, I mean, behind the general. And they logically make sense, right? And friends, the powers that we deal with are strong, are they not? It's our memory, it's our emotional memory, it's our hormones, it's you know, just the water you, any, any human ever has lived in. They're powerful. But Jesus has led them in triumphal procession. And he has defeated them by the cross. And so with him, You have the stunning reversal that they have been shamed. They have been publicly shamed. And in Christ, you are not shamed. You are accepted and blessed and made new. And you can be who you are. Imagine me that day in Spaniel Hall. Imagine somebody, imagine somebody standing there sort of, so there's another tourist family. Let's watch them for fun. Imagine some cynical person watching me. Oh, look at this doofus over here. He thinks he's so bad, right? You can play it. It's easy. You could write that. It's easy. You could play that whole track in your mind, what that would be like. The thing is, in a way, there's nothing that wouldn't be true. Now imagine it this way. What happens if the most amazing person you can imagine Someone who is just, you know, just a great human being. The, 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 the person you most of all would want people to know that you were with. A, a woman as beautiful as Cheryl, if, as Cheryl, if that were possible, right? Imagine that person walks into that patio at Faneuil Hall and says, Tim, I didn't know you were here today. This is great. I'm so glad. Hey, come on, man. I got a million bucks. Let's go shop. And everybody's going, whoa, what happened there? 
why does that person want to be with him? In him, with him, that's the way you can live. It's the way we are called to live. Don't be cheated. Believe it. Grab it. Talk to yourself this way. Remind yourself who you are and what he has done. Let's pray, friends. I invite you to just take a minute and uh, just just imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm telling my little story. I know you I know you you got your own stories that come to mind as you hear that. The fullness of God bodily is in me and you are in me. You have fullness in you. Sit down and just say, Jesus, show me your face and wait on it. Just wait on it. Jesus, let me see you see me. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. You have overcome the power.